And we bring in Tim Hudak for the morning brief, where we have one of our pundits to unpack some of the day's biggest stories. Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Good morning. Good morning, John Moore. I was unpacking in brief this uh, investigative report over the possibility that the province is overpaying, or at least paying a premium, I guess, to private clinics in order to perform surgeries. That's not the way it was supposed to work. Well, let's see what the, the facts are here. Look, number one, John, I think it's always important to shine a, a full light on how government spends our tax dollars, particularly in healthcare. Are we getting good value for uh, the dollar, paying competitive rates? And secondly, are we getting good quality outcomes? But something about this story to me sniffs a bit like CBC with a political uh, agenda. I'm not sure all the facts are presented in this article where CBC is making the case that the province overpaid private clinics. The underlying story is they, they don't believe they should be in private clinics. They should be in hospitals. So wh why do I say that? Well, number one, I don't think this is an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Let me tell you why. It, it talks about the rates paid to a, a private clinic in, in Don Mills to do a number of surgeries, including orthopedic and cataract surgeries, uh, on a per-surgery basis, and then compares it to the hospital. But what happens in the healthcare system is hospitals already receive a global budget from the province every year. You know, that pays for staff, that pays for the building, that pays for uh, new equipment and depreciation on others. So they already do get a lot of money from the taxpayer. So, so therefore, if they're doing additional procedures on top of that, it wouldn't be the same rate as a private clinic, which does not receive a single dollar in base funding. Number two, even if it was more expensive, you did apples to apples, John, we had a backlog in procedures that the hospital systems could simply not fulfill. We fell behind because of COVID. And secondly, hospitals are bound by pretty strict union agreements, which limit their capability. And that's why often they're dark at nights and weekends when we could be using that equipment. So there's a justification here to get more procedures done. And third, what's most important here is what's the outcome at the end of the day? You know, are we actually getting the same quality, better procedures? or weaker, and what's the patient satisfaction rate? All of that has to go into any kind of bundle of any legitimate comparison between the two. Okay, let's move on to uh, unpaid restaurant shifts. This is a very busy labor minister. David Piccini doing an impressive job uh, out of the gate. So he was the Minister for uh, Environment and Parks. And when Monty McNaughton, who did a very solid job in, in labor, went to the private sector, uh, David got the, the move by the Premier into this position. And usually, uh, John, for conservative governments, labor is what I would call a defense ministry, right? You try to stay out of trouble instead of going on the offense and making changes. And now we're seeing, I think, a quite a remarkable job um, to the contrary of where conservative governments usually are. It's almost like they went through labor legislation with, a, with a, a fine comb to say, where are areas that just don't make sense for average people and for removing red tape? I had no idea that this animal existed, that you could actually do a shift in a restaurant and, and not get paid for oh, it. Yeah. But I guess it's a common practice. So good for them in saying that's not fair. You do the work, you get paid for it. I know it's a tough business. And not everybody's cut out for it, but man, you should at least get dollars for the job. They also talk about uh, how if employers are sharing in pooled tips, they have to notify the employees. It must be uh, very clear um, out of the gate. 
And also, I think it's criminal that, that staff at a restaurant, if they did everything right, get their paychecks docked to somebody dines and dashes. So good for the minister here. And as you pointed out, John, a, a consistent path here on things that I would call eye level that, that match up with what, you know, everyday Canadians would think are unfair and stand up for the frontline worker, like limiting the ability to use non-disclosure agreements for cases of sexual harassment, posting salary ranges, allowing for outside of Canada work experience. Top marks the minister here in fighting for average folks. The beer store contract may not be renewed, which would be the end of the beer store, and I don't think it's going to be all that lamented. Good riddance. Man, it's hard to think of of a worse deal when it comes to enabling consumers than when the Wynn government signed what they call the Master Framework Agreement. I was in the legislature when this happened. I was I was incredulous. I mean, how how you could hand over the government's ability to open up new places to purchase beverage alcohol to these multinational corporations is beyond beyond me. It, you know, I remember all the arguments. I've been lobbied by big beer, you know, right, left, and center when I was in politics. That there's going to be riots in the streets if you have alcohol to be sold in a convenience store or a grocery store. That we'd see prices skyrocket. The environmental system of recycling would collapse. Ball. None of that true. You know, going into grocery stores has made life more convenient, gives us more uh, choices. We can still recycle. And by the way, I think they should tear up that agreement, too, to allow me to take my empties, not simply to the beer store, but another facility. Look, let's treat adults like adults. Let's allow them to actually purchase, whether it's beer, wine, or spirits. The notion that you have these ready-to-drink beverages that you can buy if it's malt-based beer at the grocery store, but you can't if it has vodka in it is also ludicrous. And they should expand a convenience store. So to this master framework agreement that stands in the way of convenience, fair prices, and choice for consumers, good riddance. Yeah, it just seems like such a relic. I mean, I I always tell the story of when I was a kid and I would come to uh, visit relatives in Brampton and i get in the car with my uh, cousin and we would go to the pop shop, you remember that place, in order to get the pop. Then we'd go to the liquor store to get the wine and liquor. Then we'd have to go to the beer store. It was exhausting and, and ridiculous. And, and also the beer store is kind of like consumers distributing for, for booze. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it, it is stuck in the in the 1970s. Let's do what most of the provinces do. Most of the states to the south of us. You can go west, east, or south. I guess you can't really go north and have the ability to buy beer or wine or spirit-based beverages in a convenience store or a grocery store. Let's get out of the 1970s and give consumers the, the choice and convenience that they deserve in 2023. At 7:20 this morning on our show, we're going to be speaking with a presumed victim of sexual assault. And the man she says attacked her is going free because they projected that they were not going to be able to put him on trial within the 18 months required. And that it's kind of like when, you know, you find a dead body in a car, but you didn't have a warrant. So you can't actually you can't prosecute somebody. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. And I, and I hope we'll see some some outrage uh, from the attorney general uh, on this. I mean, can you, whether this is. Sorry, John. Spouse or a, a daughter that's raped, raped, and they they go through that physical trauma, and they, I cannot even imagine the the mental trauma you'd have to go through, and then you have to report that to police. You have to live every detail over and over again. The detective, you have to go in court in a public setting and talk about what happened to you, and then to have that tossed out of court because of, of delay, it's it's outrageous. It's horrifying. I cannot even imagine what this woman would feel like, and, and those around her. And uh, we need to see the attorney general 
stop this express outrage that this can actually happen. Put the resources in place, change whatever contracts are required to get justice for victims like this. It's horrifying. And to a certain extent, I guess this is a real estate uh, story. We've got high-rise dwellers who are in a 41-floor building, and there's only one elevator. Yeah, I can't understand that. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm missing something. When you have that that many uh, units, you think this would be part of, of building code? Yeah. Uh, you well, think, I think I there mean, are I, two others that are out of service, and then there's one that people use to move stuff. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I just don't get this. I actually, John, among my, my many responsibilities during my 21 years in public life, was responsible for elevators at oh. any point in time. And ironically, at Queen's Park, those ancient elevators used to break down on a regular basis as you'd head up to go uh, into the assembly uh, chamber. This is basics, right? This is basics that, uh, that the province uh, uh, does regulate through an outside uh, body to make sure that if an elevator uh, is closed, there's going to be some level uh, of convenience or quick fix for, for consumers. Again, it's a chance for one of the ministers in office responsible to, to step up and say, uh, we can't have this. Let's, let's go out there and fight for the little guy. That's why this government was voted for in the first place. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Have a great day. Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, on the morning brief.